Good morning, entrepreneurs. You are tuned into the non-corporate network, the global leader in entrepreneurship. This is Entrepreneurs, a show where Dustin and I debate the top six trending small business headlines for three minutes each. We each give our takes. Uh, Dustin, do you want to add anything to my glorious intro? Glorious. Do you to your argument right are now? Not so glorious, so. I was gonna say, do you want to do you want to just surrender now, and I'll just do the show, or <laughs> how do you want to do this? I think let's uh, let's go about it. Let's go. We'll drag we'll drag it out for we'll drag out my victory for the for the for the viewers here. <laughs> Always um, dreaming, man. Always dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting into our first story, Uber CEO proposes benefits funds for gig workers. Gig workers who remain independent contractors and non-employees have long pushed for this policy reform, and companies like Uber. Uh, for benefits um, comparable to those received by traditional workers. Um, this is the COVID is uh, kind of produced, obviously, a strain for them, lower uh, ride numbers that they're getting. And so Uber has uh, proposed that they will, quote, give workers cash that they can use for benefits that they want, like health insurance or paid time off. Uh, Dustin, what are your thoughts on this model of cash distributions as opposed to uh, actual um, tangible benefit programs? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the overall program, I think it's a huge step in the right direction. I mean, as you've mentioned, as we mentioned on previous episodes, I mean, the gig economy continues to grow, yet there are no benefits for the gig economy. So it's a step in the right direction, whether they should just be offering actual benefits as in, hey, we'll pay for half of your insurance or we'll pay for insurance or 401k, whatever that may be. Um, you know, it's 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 weird that they're just giving them cash. I mean, it is cool that they're getting the customization, but my mind goes to, well, if you're giving them cash and you guys don't have to fuel your HR department with finding different programs and whatever it may be, you're keeping overhead down. And so you're kind of passing that that headache or process on to, you know, the people that are working for you. So, I mean, right. it's, I wonder if they're just trying to cut corners. I, I do think it is a huge step in the right direction, though. But I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, we're seeing this phase change, right? There, it started when like companies like Uber came out. It was a great way to generate um, like a side hustle for people, and so they were happy about getting a little bit of cash um, outside of their job. Life was good, but as the workforce has grown, as the gig economy has grown that that workforce has become more and more critical to the success of businesses like Uber, like Lyft, like DoorDash. And so I think that the tide is shifting a little bit where it's no longer the, the employees that are the ones that are uh, solely benefiting off of this labor. Um, and I think that, yeah, the, it's good that businesses are recognizing that they need to keep this workforce happy, regardless if it's a W-2 or not. But yeah, I mean, my my personal feeling here is that it would have been a benefits program unless the the cash was saving them money, and so I I wonder if there is some ulterior motives to not formalizing um, those types of benefit programs. Um, but you know, and I wonder when Congress will start thinking more about the gig economy worker. I mean, it started to show up in the PPP loans where it's self-employed and, and contractors could benefit from the PPP loans. So, I mean, there's, I think that was the first thing that was ever introduced to where it actually put uh, shine some light on that 1099 or contract worker. Um, so, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much uh, gets passed to, to uh, 
fuel this growing trend on the gig economy. Yeah. I mean, if you're a full-time worker, but you're being paid as a contractor and you wear Uber shirts and have Uber decals, like hmm. you're not far off from a W2 at that point. Yeah, so it, exactly. it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, all right. Getting into our next story. Small businesses are dying by the thousands and no one is tracking the carnage. Okay. So this sounds very bleak. I admit, um, this, uh, hmm. Yelp reported that, um, their data is showing more than 80,000, uh, permanently closed businesses between March 1st and July 25th, about 60,000 were local businesses or firms with fewer than five locations. About 800 small businesses did indeed file for chapter 11 bankruptcy. Um, according to the American Bankruptcy Institute. Um, and the trade group expects that 2020 total could be up 36% in terms of bankruptcies filed. Um, you know, this story to me, it, it, we keep seeing numbers that are all across the board, right? I mean, I, mm -hmm. I've, I, it's hard to know what to believe. I'll tell you what I do think, though, Dustin, is that I don't think that our data is robust enough to be tracking those businesses that maybe aren't filing for bankruptcy, the businesses that are closed down, but haven't formalized the paperwork with the state that they've actually dissolved the business, you know, things like that. I think that there is way more. Another thing is we we think about small business, but that technically in the eyes of the government is a, it could be up to a $500 million business. I look at a small business as a couple of employees, you know, making a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue. And so I think that, uh, yeah, those small, super small businesses, if you want to call them, um, the situation is much more bleak than we realize. And so I, I my question to you is, uh, what do you think about the data that we're tracking and how can we improve that data tracking? Yeah, well, I mean, I always when it comes to data, let's go back to the source. It is unbelievable that Yelp is the source of how we're tracking how many small businesses are, are shuttering. Um, but I mean, it's just, I mean, I, looking at data with clients and everything like that. I mean, it, it, it's insane how just looking at a different way can make different decisions. I mean, even top businesses have a hard time digesting and figuring out what data to look at. So, I mean, for the government to be running with it, I'm sure that we might not be looking at the right data. So I think there's two different sides to this one. I don't even know if we have a way to track, you know, how the, the business health of America, I mean, in real time, sure, we can look year over year and how many bankruptcies and all that. But I mean, at the end of the day, how many small businesses that aren't going to file for bankruptcy, but just shut yeah. down? I mean, there, there's a lot that are probably shut down that aren't even tracked here. So I think we need to figure out a way to be able to track more in real time. Yeah. But I mean, between this and, and COVID and all that, I, I really think that everyone is looking at the wrong data points. Um, and so yeah. I think there needs to be a discussion around what are the, the metrics that we're looking at to make yeah. better decisions. I mean, that at the end of the day, yeah. that's how you make better decisions is looking at the right data, but far too right. often the wrong data is what's analyzed. Well, COVID really showed us how you can look at the wrong data and that can spiral you into a frenzy, right? I mean, we're everybody that died, whether they got hit by a truck or they, you know, already had some pre-existing conditions, they died from COVID. And so it was something where we've tried to make those, you know, data uh, aggregation methods a little more robust to tell a more representative story. And yeah, it's about time that we did the same thing for small business health because, yep. yeah, I, I have a feeling that we're, we don't know exactly what's happening. I don't know if anybody does. Um, hmm. We need to get to the bottom of it. Uh, moving into our next story, Arizona governor. Ducey released guidelines for pause businesses to reopen. This is, this is 
crazy to me, Dustin, on August 10th, Deuce's office released these guidelines um, that gyms can reopen at 25% capacity once the spread is considered minimal. That is 3% uh, positive in the county. Um, and they also he also mentioned that bars and nightclubs can open up at 50% once the percent positive spread in the county is 3% as well. So um, what do you think of this policy? Will this work? <laughs> this is insane. Again, looking at the wrong data points and, and using data incorrectly. I mean, it blows my mind that you're saying a gym where people are going, granted they're sweating, but they're, they're sanitizing their station. I mean, they're taking health precautions. It can only be at 25%, but within four walls, you're allowing... 50% capacity where all these people are drinking drinks. I mean, you got a bunch of people that are walking around hammered and drinking other people's drink. I mean, there, there's a lot more probability to create spread within a bar and a nightclub as there is in a gym. And so to me, it blows my mind that, that a gym could be at a fuller capacity. Uh, I mean, uh, bars and nightclubs could be at a fuller capacity than, than right. a gym. Um, so, I mean, that right there is, it's insane to me. I mean, the 3%, yeah. I don't know how you tried that, but I mean, what are your thoughts on, on all of this? You know, yeah, I agree with, with what you're saying. I think that the way I'm looking at it is how in the heck are we going to be able to know what 3% positive <laughs> means in the County? Right. I mean, it, like there's a fraction of the population that is going and getting testing done where you're either going to have to do one of two things. You're either going to have to guess or you're going to have to have everyone get tested. And mm -hmm. obviously I don't think it's going to be the latter. And, you know, if we're looking at the testing, like what, is that a representative sample of, you know, less than 1% of the County going to get tested? That's going to tell us if 3% or less has the virus, especially when the people that are getting tested are, are the ones that are probably, you know, most scared about getting infection or they've been um, exposed to something. It's just like, it's not a representative sample of our entire county or whatever. So I, I just don't know how you're going to tell me that there's 3% positive cases when we can't even tell at a macro level what's happening. Exactly. I mean, going back to the data, how big is the control? How big is the experiment? Do we have enough uh, data uh, statistical significance to say whether the spread is contained? Or, I mean, they're, they're, people are just throwing out percentages and numbers and data points that it's like, we haven't even figured out how to track that key yeah. API that it'd be nice if at. that was, yeah, it'd be nice if it was 3%. Cool. Yeah. Let's go back. How are you going to know that though? Like <laughs> well, we don't need good. to know it. We just need to put it on the headline. We don't need to know yeah. how to do that. It's like, I mean, and, I and just don't understand. going back, going back to your point, it's like, I mean, I don't know how true these are, but I mean, seeing people post to where someone's in line to get tested, it takes too long. They leave. And then someone calls them and says, yeah. tested positive. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, I'm saying a test is how you know, know that. So it's like, I don't yeah. know. There, there's too many variables. I think people don't have a solid strategy for, for what we're doing. Touche. Well, before you get into our next story, I want to mention that we are powered by State 48. State 48, we appreciate everything you're doing for uh, our community here in Arizona. Uh, you know, very proud of the partnerships and uh, the causes and things that they stand for. Uh, Dustin, you have anything you want to add about State 48? Yeah, no, they're doing really good uh, stuff in the community, a lot of partnerships, and uh, check them out, state48.com. So as we head into our next story, so uh, CNBC partnered with SurveyMonkey to survey uh, small businesses and small business owners, um, and really to see the confidence level in, and how things are rebounding. And so the recent survey showed that 36% of small business owners are saying that things are quote-unquote good, 
that is up from 18% in March, so a pretty healthy increase. Um, granted, the lowest level in confidence before COVID was 53%, so we're still pretty far below that 53% threshold. Um, a lot of the confidence is because business owners are getting more comfortable with digitization. Um, people are making pivots in their business and everything like that. I mean, mm. my question is, we're obviously trending in a more positive way. Is this signaling a good comeback or... I mean, again, are we just looking at the wrong data? I want to, yeah, I want to know if uh, they surveyed all the people that are already out of business or the people that are about to be out of business. I mean, when you talk about small business, I think that's too big of a threshold. I think that that's, in my opinion, that's the biggest flaw in the data collection system is that, you know, somebody that is making 200 grand in gross revenue with two employees is going to be considered a small business the same way that somebody with a hundred employees and 3 million in revenue, like there's, that's not the same level of business. I don't think that all of that should be lumped into one representative data pool. Um, so, you know, this could be 36% of business owners that are doing over 2 million or over 5 million or over a hundred million. I mean, it's still considered a small business. So, uh, I just, I don't think that there's a same kind of ethos and mentality with, the bottom half of small business compared to the top half, uh, especially because the top half are the ones that have been awarded a lot of stimulus. And, um, you know, we were, we're seeing those, those checks still get cut. So, uh, you know, it just, I don't think it's representative of the smaller guys. Yeah. I mean, either way, they're still sampling the same people essentially. And so at, at least the audience and who they're, they're surveying isn't changing. So, I mean, theoretically, at least as a directional, granted, it might not be who we think should be sampled, but it is directional. And I think, uh, you know, I'm all about trends and it's trending in a more positive direction, even though I will say right now is not, not the best, but we're going in a, in a good direction. Um, I mean, that being said, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, we got, we have companies that are doing anywhere from a hundred thousand a year, all the way up to the apples and, and the, you know, the big five that are doing billions and trillions of dollars. Um, I think, you know, right now we got small, medium and large. And I think that's such a big, such a big range in revenue thresholds that I think maybe we need to, to they don't have the same problems. Yeah. They don't have the same problems as a year. You've got businesses that are sitting on loads of cash and then you got businesses that total revenue, gross revenue isn't even close to equivalent to the cash that a business in the same category is sitting on. So it's just like, there's no way that they're going to have the same problems. There's no way that the same policy reform is going to be positive for the upper side of small business compared to the lower side of small business. Yep. No, can't agree more. So as we head into our next story, so local company in Arizona, Nicola, they just received uh, an order of 2,500 electric collection trucks. Republic Services, which is a company that collects trash, essentially they're, they're, trash trucks. Um, they made a, an order of 2,500. And so this is pretty big. I mean, they came out, Nicola came out with an IPO a couple of weeks ago. It was huge. Came out hundred bucks a share. It kind of tanked. I mean, a couple of days later down to 35, $40 a share, I believe. Um, uh, but this is the first big order that's come through, um, since their IPO Republic services, their big goal is to be an industry leader, uh, to cut down emissions by at least 35% here in the coming years. Um, they, they just want to do better for the environment. Um, 
you know, there's performance, there's efficiencies that they're going to see from it. But really, I mean, what Nikola's doing is a lot of people can compare them to Tesla, but they're two totally different types of vehicles and business models. But I mean, with them being compared so closely, I mean, should Tesla be worried about Nikola now that they're starting to get some big orders, um, you know, pick up some traction or what are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, you know, I love what Nikola's got going on. I think that their business model can definitely render the lithium batteries obsolete. Um, if they can, you know, produce this economies of scale, hydrogen, repurposing the gas stations into hydrogen stations. Like, I, I think it's an interesting idea. And it, um, I think it's something that, uh, I I'd love to see come to fruition, but I'm not going to, you know, put a whole lot of faith in, um, in them at this stage, you know, as you mentioned, there was a lot of hype around their business came out the gate up to a hundred bucks on their IPO. Um, and then their revenue numbers came out for Q1 and, you know, their stock price plummeted by over 65%. So, uh, it, it really is something where, you know, this conjecture tends to, uh, you know, sway the way people think about businesses. And I I'm, not going to, you know, put all my chips into them just yet. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, they're very early on compared to Tesla, but I mean, Tesla, they just now broke profit. I mean, they've been in business for a while, but I mean, it's, I, I love the different business model. I mean, the, they're doing is instead of trying to make all their money on selling the vehicles, they're uh, creating the hydrogen gas at hydrogen stations to where you can refuel your car. And they're going to be the ones that are providing that. So not only are they making some money on selling the vehicle, but then they're, they're generating the reoccurring revenue on every time you fill up. And so yeah. I think in terms of, of long-term and, and comparing the two models, I think, you know, Nikola has a way better chance of, of long-term growth. I mean, there's a lot of buzz around Tesla. Like I said, it's a, it's a big uphill battle that, and I mean, there's only so many natural resources to create these lithium ion batteries. Uh, or lithium batteries. And so it's, it's, you kind of run up against that where hydrogen, it's water. I mean, it's uh, just yep. get out of the sky. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. So as we go into our last story, so I think it's something we can all get fired up by. Um, so Kodak, <laughs> the, uh, Kodak, the uh, camera company, they essentially received a $765 million loan from the government after, after uh, lobbying. Essentially, they spent about $870,000 in lobbying um, to get awarded this, this grant. And essentially, the grant, <clears throat> excuse me, the grant is to help find a cure for COVID. So this camera company um, had not spent more than five grand in lobbying since the Q1 of 2019. So, I mean, they don't spend uh, much money in lobbying. Um, so really it's, where are we going with this lobbying? How does a camera and film company, you know, spend some money on lobbying, spend less than a million dollars on lobbying to then win a $765 million loan, essentially interest-free loan. And should a camera film company be finding a cure for COVID? Shame on you, Kodak. <laughs> I, I mean, you, did you mention the fact that they're probing and put the loan on hold because they suspect insider trading within the, um, you know, the board of Kodak as well? That's another point to make. But you know, yeah, I, I don't understand how you're going to get a how you're going to get a grant of this size for something that is that far outside of your business model. And you know, at the end of the day, like. 
lobbying to me is just something that is a uh, it's a legal bribe that you can take. It only takes swaying a couple of votes to be able to bring a policy to life or not. And so, yeah, okay, you know, eight hundred seventy thousand dollars may not be huge in the grand scheme of things, but this is up from ten thousand dollars or whatever it was. Five thousand dollars is what they spent last year, twenty nineteen Q1 in lobbying. So they increased that from five thousand to eight hundred and seventy thousand. And lo and behold, they get a seven hundred sixty million, seven hundred sixty five million dollar loan out of it. You know, where could that money have gone? What could it have done? I don't trust Kodak to do anything in the medical industry or really in any industry for that matter. They pretty much become obsolete in all the places they play ball. So, uh, yeah, this is perplexing to me. It is frustrating. Shame on you, Kodak. Shame on you, whoever let this happen uh, in terms of the loan as well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned 870 grand. I mean, in the grand scheme of business and overall GDP, that's a whole lot of nothing, but it swayed a $765 million decision that could have been awarded to something, someone else. I mean, Bristol-Myers Squibb, I mean, Moderna, there, there's a ton of other companies that are actually in that space that could probably generate higher ROI with that $765 million than Kodak can. I, I mean, I recently saw a couple of days ago that Kodak was also entering the space of logistics, saying that they can help companies bring back their supply chain from China. So it's like you're making cameras, you're no, they can't. COVID, you're bringing supply chains back from China. I mean, what, what no. is it that you can't do? Um, but I mean, to your point, two big things. I mean, as soon as the loan was was going through and they knew uh, the loan was put, then put on hold because uh, top executives were seen as insider trading after they learned that they were going to be awarded. So it's like it. It's crazy. I, I We should totally just outlaw lobbying. It, it blows my mind that laws can literally be purchased. Yeah. Department stores go out of business as well, Kodak. So have fun. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. I mean, a lot of crazy stories. Um, looking back, I think that this whole thing with the gig economy and awarding benefits is a step in the right direction, as you mentioned. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what companies follow suit. I'm, I feel like Uber is going to be the most conservative. And, uh, you know, if Lyft wants to get some good press, then they can uh, step up and, and make uh, Uber look bad by uh, giving their own version of the benefit packages. So we'll see what other kind of gig companies come out, Upwork, Fiverr. I mean, there's there's quite a few. So I think there's a lot of opportunity um, in that space to do well by uh, by gig economy workers. Yeah. No, the one that interests me the most was uh, the Kodak story. It's uh, yeah, I've crazy. seen more and more politicians come out and, and talk about term limits. And uh, I mean, this comes into light. I, I hope that there's some type of reform in terms of term limits and lobbying. I think those two things need to be really looked at and that'll, yeah. that'll prevent a lot of future corruption. And so interested to see what happens there. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Well, uh, thank you guys for tuning in again. You are watching not the non-corporate network, the worldwide leader in entrepreneurship. This is Entrepreneurs. If you have a show you want to bring to fruition, you can make it happen. We want to help you. We want to use our resources to help you to do that. So if you're passionate about something in regards to entrepreneurship, check us out. Reach out to us, ncnbroadcast.com. Uh, hopefully you guys are listening on Apple or Spotify if you aren't watching this uh, live stream right now. Um, we appreciate everybody that's still sticking with us. We'll be back on Monday with some more stories. And uh, yeah, thank you. Dustin, do you have anything yep. you want to add? Yeah. Uh, or, what was that? Oh, the audience let me know that I won. So there's that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see you guys on Monday. And I uh, hope you guys have a good weekend.
Appreciate you tuning in. Hey, you've got some, you got some poor data reporting as the CNBC. You guys need to, you guys are (laughs) probably working together. (laughs) Yelp and Yelp and Dustin working together. Blame game, blame game. You lose and already blaming. Lose and already blaming. (laughs) Okay. No, appreciate you guys tuning in. Yeah, we'll see you guys on Friday or Monday. This today's Friday. <laughs> Blue is mine. Blue is mine. You know what day it is. <laughs> oh gosh.